Hi, I'm Taryn Winterbrill, host of Bestseller TV on C-Suite Radio. On this show, I sit down with leading business authors to find out what makes their books stand out from the crowd. With thousands of new business books and titles being published each year, we try to make it just a little bit easier for you to decide which ones are worth the read. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Welcome to Bestseller TV. I'm Camilla Webster, and I'm joined by Damon John, the author of The Display of Power. Thank you so much for joining us <laughs> Thank today. You. Thanks for having me. What a fantastic book. One of the things I thought was so interesting and really inspiring was how much your mother influenced your career. Tell me about that. Well, good old mom. Well, um, you know, my, uh, my parents uh, uh, went through a divorce when I was around 10 years old and mom became the mom and dad of the house. And mom would always uh, just give me all these uh, little lessons in life that of course I would ignore when I was 10 years old and then maybe when I was 20 years old. And then they started to actually settle in a little bit later on in life. Um, everything from you know when, when you're out there working that uh, money is really just a tool and, and how to have money work for you and, and how to surround yourself with a lot of good people. So all the things we hear growing up, but I didn't value it at the time I was hearing it. You know, one of the points I picked up on is that you had a, she used to say to you, think big, think bigger. Yes. Talk to me about that because you as an amazing entrepreneur, author, TV star, seem to have totally put that into action. Well, first of all, we had a, a can opener that was over our refrigerator. I think it was around three feet long. And it was a can opener, and it said, think big on the can opener. And I always wondered, why didn't she ever open anything with the can opener? Uh, and then I realized, obviously, what she was trying to say. But when I would come up with ideas and concepts, she would say, well, that's fine, but how can you do it bigger? How can you do it bigger? And then she would say, it takes the same energy to, to think big as it does to think small. So she really instilled that in me, and even till today, Every single thing I'm going to do, I'm going to think about doing it the, the best and the, and the biggest way I possibly can. So you grew up in New York City. Yep. Hollis, um, Queens. Hollis, Queens. But you were born in Brooklyn. Uh-huh. Street smart? That's almost all I had. Um, as I would uh, grow up and, and then try to apply other type of uh, smarts, such as uh, financial intelligence and things of that nature, I would fail in most things. But common sense and street smarts are what I really had. Do you think that's what was the genesis for FUBU? Absolutely. You know, when I was around 10 or 11, uh, this new music called hip hop started and uh, it really was the voice of the streets. It was the kids talking about their their dreams, their aspirations, and it also, in, in the music, obviously, and it also came along with another lifestyle, which included, uh, in the early 80s in New York City, it included uh, breakdancing and graffiti writing, which is, you know, now art, obviously, in some sense. It was the voice and a pulse of the street, and that is exactly exactly what uh, pushed me and, and inspired me to do FUBU. So talk to me a little bit for, about the humble beginnings of FUBU and a small marketing budget to what it became and what the lessons are in the book for someone starting a business. Sure. The lessons are that um, you know we all have a power inside of us and that if we apply it correctly with, uh, with a drive and with some form of thinking and take affordable steps, we will get where we want to go. Most people believe that you need to have a million 
gazillion dollars to go ahead and create, um, you know, some form of wealth or a big company. And you don't. Uh, you can be a kid in Hollis Queens with a couple of hats running around in video sets, or you can be a kid in Harvard who just wants a couple of friends on your Harvard uh, from Harvard on your book, and then, you know, a couple of friends from uh, you know Ivy Leagues on your Facebook, and then now you have a couple billion friends. So it all starts with uh, you know bootstrapping, right, and going out and getting a proof of concept, and then getting people to move behind what you're doing. And then you can go and seek funding or other partners, but at least you made all the mistakes, or as many as you could, small with your own capital. So let's talk about what everybody's talking about, which is Shark Tank. Yep. Hugely successful show. Yes. Um, if someone went and picked up the book Display of Power right now, what are some of the lessons they might have when they think, I'm an entrepreneur, I respect what he says on Shark Tank, why am I picking up this book? Uh, you know, that's funny you, you asked that because I actually wrote the book before uh, Shark Tank came out and I've learned so much more, um, but it all comes back to what I write about in the book in regards to the fundamentals. It's talking about applying yourself, but it's also talking about affordable next steps within your reach, you know, not to sit back and overanalyze things and think that things are going to be perfect because they're not. Um, so that's really what I break down in the book, to really think about things, use common sense, apply it, and then have drive and, 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 and surround yourself all also with a creative team that also believes in you. Because there was many times in the book that I would want to quit. Um, but if I had partners around me that didn't allow me to quit, then um, you know that was something you know, that probably put us over the edge. Many people quit because they don't have a supportive team. That's such a good point, the team. Not having a supportive team being a huge mistake at times. Uh, what are some of the other mistakes you experience or could be mistakes that you want to share with other business people? Um, I think that when people go into business and they're not doing something they're absolutely obsessed with and that they love, I think that that is a, a big mistake. Um, because if you're doing it solely for the purpose of money, you will get um, you know discouraged when you're not making money. You will not want to put in those, those extra hours. Uh, if you're doing something that you're absolutely obsessed with, uh, you will put in those extra hours. You will, if your report ca card comes back uh, with a D or an F, you still have some form of satisfaction. You know, I would have dressed people for the rest of my life if I could, if it was for free. I, I loved just seeing somebody wear something that I created and just made it made them feel good and in return it made me feel good. So I think that's the biggest challenge. People think that, oh, well, you know, Damon has a lot of money, so I'm going to now come out with a shirt line. It's just not that easy. You have to be have real, real passion about it. You know, so many people watching are part of the C-suite set. Sure. It is a period that is crucial to the next level of someone's career or their downfall. Yeah. Uh, what yeah. are some of the lessons in that corporate sphere you'd like to share? First of all, I, I've never been part of the corporate um, you know, model. But what I have noticed is that, you know, a lot of the individuals in corporate America, they need to think like entrepreneurs, just like entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs. And I know there's a lot of red tape and a lot of um, politics to go with it. But are they also on the ground doing and seeing what's happening? I've seen people give, you know, a lot of money and trust a lot of money in advertising agencies or other things. And they're never actually there because they just think they have to allocate a budget and they have to uh, try to um, to make something, you know, hot or popular. So first of all, I, I think they should do that. Second of all, I've seen uh, many corporations where Department A is not talking to Department B. So a lot of times they're not uh, 
you know, working with other departments to try to maximize the synergies between them as well as learn what does sales need or what does manufacturing need to move the needle. And then you can put that with creative. And then they want their boss to do that. And their bosses are making decisions from their ivory towers or you know, 30,000 feet in the air. And, and they're not doing it as well. And that's where I see uh, corporations start to really lose their power and people and individuals, uh, you know, end up only staying there 24 months and 36 months. You developed from the beginning a very certain type of, well, corporate culture or it became a corporate culture. Yes. Talk to me about how important the example of FUBU's co corporate culture in the book Display of Power sure. relates to C-suite executives. Well, yeah, in, the, in the book Display of Power, I talk about how a kid had a voice anywhere in our company all the way down to the mailroom. Now, of course, we're selling fashion and that may be more um, advantageous to us when a young individual does that. But in many corporations, I don't care if you are selling um, technology or anything of that nature, the buying market, as we all know, is 18, basically 18 to 35, 18 to 39. And I think that we often don't listen to the ones who really are making the decisions. Uh, we do that as, uh, uh, at the same time, we do that with our kids as well. You know, I was watching my daughters uh, six months ago and I said, what is a Snapchat crap, all right? Um, and I didn't understand it. But I started to realize that I need to not say, what is a Snapchat crap? I need to go, oh wow, what is that? Because, you know, it's a different time, it's a different age that these digital natives are, they're sharing information at light speed. You know, when I grew up, I had the most 20 friends. These kids have a thousand. And that thousand is a focus group. And actually you can pull information and extract information that uh, of their normal behavior that you can actually utilize to your best. Uh, so I I think that we should pay attention to every single person in the company. C-Suite Radio. Heading in a different direction, mentioning your daughter, you also mentioned family in the book and you mentioned things that are challenging along the way on yeah. the life of the executive or the entrepreneur. Sure. I think this is an important point for people to know when they're giving it their all. So talk to me about your experience and what you would say to others. Uh, well, my experience was the, you know, I ended up getting, becoming really busy. I was, uh, I was married and uh, I have two daughters, um, but I ended up spending most of my time at work. And what happened is I suffered going through a divorce and, uh, and I realized at that time how important time was. Uh, of course, it's, it's easier to say that because, um, you know, I know people who really have, they're making minimum wage and they don't get to see their family as well. So there's that, that thin line and that's that balance that you have to have. It's very, very hard, especially when you're an executive or somebody in a power position, even though you have the time physically that you're spending with the family, are you actually mentally there? I've noticed that uh, even uh, you know, as a dad at an early age, I was talking to my kids and my wife like a boss because I couldn't turn it off. Um, and uh, you know, that's always gonna be a challenge for anybody with a, a level of success that people depend on is how do you balance time? Because time is the only thing that you can't get back. That's my constant struggle now today, too. And there's that thin line, and that reminds me of your next book, The Power of Broke. Uh -huh. uh, talk to me about that. Uh, well, the, the next book I'm penning right now, The Power of Broke, is really for anybody who uh, is outside and they're looking for funding and an idea, as well as uh, corporations. I did keynotes in many corporations, and some people will have the nerve to say, yeah, my division, you know, I don't, I don't really know what I can do with it. I only have $20 million to advertise, uh, and they're not exercising the power of broke. Money, for the most part, is not going to put your brand out there uh, 
It's about the positioning and the angle and thinking like you are broke. When people think like they're broke, um, they become more creative. They think their money's going to solve it. It's not going to happen. So that's what the next book is, The Power of Broke, how to apply yourself and apply your thought process to the everyday challenges that you have as a, either a corporation or either an individual trying to take it to the next step. For that C-suite executive out there, uh, what's the best display of power? Well, you know what? Um, that's a tough question because everybody's in a different position. I would say the, the, the thing that I noticed that executives are not doing um, that they should be doing is taking advantage of social media. Not necessarily that you want to go out there and put your business out there, but you really want to take a pulse of what's going on in the market. No longer do you have to, you know, put a bunch of people in a room and, you know, give them pizza and peek through a peek hole as a focus group and then give them $100 each to tell you what you want to hear. Um, the beauty of social media is you can hashtag things and you can check out the analytics of what people are thinking all around the world. And you can casually throw things out there to see how it resonates with people. But many, um, many executives only look at social media as either I'm dealing with one person, how many followers they have, or um, you know something silly that uh, people are doing. Where, of course, just like watching television, there's going to you're going to have your silly reality shows, and then you're going to have your serious shows. I mean, that's all social media is, and you can still learn from television if you're you know looking at content such as this or Shark Tank or you know uh, some of the more uh, you know like the Active Studio and, and programs that you can learn from. So. I would say for them that they need to really embrace social media. It's not going anywhere. And a lot of uh, executives and people I know go, oh, well, it's so confusing and I don't have enough time to learn it now. But to me, it could be at its kindergarten stage. You don't want it. You don't want to start trying to learn it when it's this fifth grade stage or, or college stage. So I would say it's not going away and to take advantage of that right now. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. For more information on Damon John's book, Display of Power, I'm going over to Damon here. Anytime you want to uh, hit me up because I'm talking about social media, I'm at the shark Damon on Twitter and Instagram. Damon spelled like Raymond with a D. Thank you, Damon. Thank you. Uh, and for more about Damon John, his books, and many others, please visit us at c-sweetbookclub.com. You've been listening to C-Suite Radio. For more top business podcasts, visit c-sweetradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-sweetradio.com.